This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Bores and James Forsyth. Well, it's the start of another week for Boris Johnson, possibly another hectic and difficult week. He's been speaking to the CBI this morning and was talking about Peppa Pig World, among other things. Yesterday I went, uh, as, as we all must, uh, 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 to, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Peppa Pig who's been to Peppa Pig World? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> I, was, well, it's, it's fact, I was a bit hazy what I would find at Peppa Pig World, uh, but I loved it. And Peppa Pig World is, is very much my kind of place. Uh, it, 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 it has uh, a, uh, very safe streets, uh, discipline in schools, uh, Heavy emphasis on new mass transit systems, I, I notice, uh, even if they're a bit stereotypical about, about Daddy Pig. Uh, but the real lesson for me, going to Peppa Pig World, and I'm surprised you haven't been there, uh, was about the power of UK creativity. James, what was the main meat of the Prime Minister's speech? I think the thing that everyone is focusing on is that he lost his place in the speech at one point. There's then a kind of while he goes, forgive me, forgive me, while he tries to find the place in the speech. But the speech very much fits with a kind of pattern of Boris Johnson's speech, which has, I think, become particularly pronounced since his Tory party conference speech, which is they are very much very Boris Johnson riffs, almost kind of regardless of who the audience is. They are his kind of classic speaking style, very much like his old Telegraph columns. I think among the audience today, there was a bit of surprise that some of them were thinking of expecting a rather meatier speech than the speech that they got. We talked about this in the immediate aftermath of his conference speech, which is he clearly decided the kind of the usual constraints and conventions of prime ministerial speech making kind of weren't for him and he was going to do his own thing. And I think that you know, when you are politically on the up, that works for you because you're breaking rules, defying conventions. It's you. It's a different form of doing politics. When you're in a politically difficult position in the way that he is, I think, at the moment after you know three weeks of negative self-inflicted headlines caused by the whole attempt to stay the, the Standards Committee guilty verdict against um, Patterson, I think the danger is, people, is it looks like that you're chaotic rather than this being a new form of political speech, a new form of political demotic. I mean, the challenge for him is that, especially when you lose your place in the speech, that you run into a kind of like, come on, show some seriousness thing. And you can see that Labour think there is something to be had here. Because, you know, one of their main lines at the moment is the joke isn't funny anymore. And I think I think the danger for Boris Johnson is that the kind of comedy act works very, very well when everything else is going well or is perceived to be going well when things are perceived to be in trouble i think it is less effective katie conservative backbenchers have come back from the weekend worried not just about the boats in the english channel carrying migrants but also about social care and they are threatening a rebellion on the government's social care reforms when the health and care bill is being debated in the commons 
this afternoon. What's their issue with this particular reform? Yes, so when the government first unveiled its proposals in September for social care, it included an £86,000 cap on personal care costs. But there's an amendment to this plan, which ultimately the government has gone for, which says support payments from councils will not count towards the cap. And charities have been quick to come out saying this is going to unfairly hit the poorest. If you have assets below 180,000, you're going to be particularly affected by this. This is a large chunk of the population. And I think there's a sense amongst Tory MPs that it's a moving of the goalpost to what was first announced. And I think that there's two issues. One is the fact that lots of MPs are worried this is going to hurt their constituents and financially. Two, I think they think it is playing into this pattern of number 10 making a decision or, you know, a change in their course of action and not consulting, just going through it and presuming the majority of 80 will get them there. And I think generally there is a sense that despite the unrest, the government probably will be able to ram this through. But what is the consequence of consistently ramming things through without dealing with concerns? I think you are building up a lot of bad will, which is obviously going to come to a head at some point. James, Have you got any thoughts on what it might come to a head on? There are a lot of different problems that are aerating lots of different groups of Conservative backbenchers. Is there one that they tend to unite on against the Prime Minister? I don't think there is one sole issue. I mean, one of the problems with the government is they've, they've taken a big step for a Tory government, which is to raise taxes to try and deal with a problem. And I mean, that created an impression that every problem would be dealt with by raising taxes. But instead, the amount of money raised doesn't actually totally solve the problem. So you've got this rather penny-pinching approach to basically count council's contributions towards that £86,000 cap. And I mean, you also see this other problem with social care, which is you're trying to deal with different problems. The social care problem in areas where property prices are very high is different from the social care problem in terms of protecting people's assets in places where houses are much less expensive. And I mean, you see this is another tension that's come out here because you've got people saying, well, hang on a second. One of the Tories' both strengths and weaknesses in a way is that they they are more of a national party than any of the other main English parties and that means that they represent both seats with very very high house prices and now after the 2019 election some seats with quite low house prices and so you see this tension coming out in the policy I think as you said though that you know at at the moment small boats is a thing I think the thing that is most exercising Tory MPs and I think it comes back to something that we've discussed on this podcast before and that, that you and Katie have both written about which is the government is getting into a problem of over-promising and under-delivering. So just last week, Pretty Patel was saying we're going to stop 100% of the channel crossings. I don't think there's anyone who really thinks that you can realistically stop 100% of those crossings. You can aim to reduce the number. But I mean, I mean, I think the problem in this is on social care. The government said no one will have to sell their house to pay for care anymore. Turns out that's not, you know, as the, as tonight's debate shows, that's not quite right. And I think the, I think the worry is that the government keeps making these big, really punchy statements. He's always about the railways as well, you know, about suggesting a whole bunch of new high-speed lines. You end up spending £96 billion and people's reaction is, is that all? And I think the worry among Tory MPs is that at some point, voters are going to say, but you told me that you were going to solve this problem or you told me this would already be fixed by now. And I think that is the thing that is causing concern. And then I think the other thing that you're seeing about tonight is 
that as one 2019 NTH Tory MP put it to me, there was a kind of sense that, you know, they, they, they were going to give number 10 the benefit of a doubt and all this stuff, but it wished to push through at speed because, you know, after all, you know, he inherited a position where the Tory party had, I think, come fifth in the European elections. And then months later, they're winning an 80-seat majority. You know, let's trust their political judgment. I think that the U-turn over the Owen Paston affair and the whole, all the trouble that that caused has led people to be... People are now looking out for the next banana skin. And so while as previously they might have said, oh, looks a bit funny, but I'll vote for that, they're now more concerned about those things. So I think you see all those forces coming together at the moment. And I, I, think, I think that the problem for number 10 is there is a kind of sense there of, oh, just we need to just get to Christmas. The problem is that Christmas is still a month away and you can take quite a lot of political incoming in that period. And the other thing is, I can't see, and I don't know whether either of you can, I can't see an event coming up that is going to allow the government to get back on the front foot. You know, the kind of good news moment isn't immediately apparent because we're into a kind of cost of living squeeze. It's harder for the government to announce it's just spending money because people will then say, how are you paying for that? And so I think this is the kind of hard yards of midterm. I think this is going to be another difficult week for the government. Christmas itself isn't uncomplicated either, is it? Which makes uh, it less of a respite for ministers. Katie, we've mentioned uh, the boats in the English Channel and it's Home Office questions in the House of Commons this afternoon where Priti Patel and other ministers in that department are going to face questions from MPs across the House. Now, the migrant crisis is growing in salience and the issue has, has been taken slightly out of the Home Secretary's hands, hasn't it, in that it's becoming a, a cross-government piece of work. Does that suggest that she's being sidelined, that Boris Johnson is, is losing faith in her ability to deliver? I mean, I think it shows that Boris Johnson does not think Pretty Patel alone can solve this problem, even if she is going to talk about stopping 100% of crossings. I think that it's been a, a long-term concern of Boris Johnson's. It's been obviously building up in salience, but it's something number 10 to be concerned about for some time. They think it's not just the fact that the numbers are, you know, reaching record levels, it's the salience of it. And the fact that if you were trying to ride out on Brexit, which uh, cabinet members recently were told, you know, on their away day, they still get a lot of credit with voters for delivering Brexit that can start to diminish if you have that visual, you know, example of people just rocking up on the beaches. And I think that's why there is concern over it. In terms of Pretty Patel, there's clearly frustration. If you think back ahead of the last reshuffle, there was lots of talk that she could be moved from a great office of state. And the main reason for that, when you heard those briefings related to boats, is someone else going to be able to solve it? Is this one for you know, other ministers? I think the issue is more just how complex this problem is. I think to give Pretty Patel a little bit of slack here, it's not as though, um, you know, there is an obvious solution she is missing. And I think that the government is going to have to start thinking about if it's not easy to solve, maybe they need to start lowering expectations a bit on what's going to happen. Because the way that Boris Johnson, even with his own MPs, because it is the issue MPs keep bringing up. They brought it up in 22 committee. Uh, I think he was also asked about when the Prime Minister spoke to the 2019 intake. If you're not going to be able to stop it in a more drastic way, perhaps you start need to preparing the ground for what's more likely to happen. And I don't think you're seeing that from Boris Johnson or Priti Patel. I think at the moment, the extent to which there is a plan is for a big fight with the House of Lords over offshore processing. 
essentially the idea that you know you pick people up on the channel but then while their asylum claim is processed they don't live in the uk they live somewhere else the problem is you need to find somewhere else prepared to accommodate them and you know every time the government thinks it's getting close with a country and news comes out that country comes out and says no no no, we won't do it and i mean this is the problem is it is it's not a particularly appealing idea for any country to take on hosting the people claiming asylum in the uk i mean there are some political allies of boris johnson who think that the rows about this offshore processing center could be like the rows over brexit a sign of way a way of showing the public you're really serious about getting it done but the problem is I don't think this row works unless there is somewhere that you've agreed where you're intending to do the offshore processing. Otherwise, the question everyone's going to say is, yeah, sure, you want to process them outside the UK, but where? And I mean, that that's the problem the government have got, is that it's really not clear where would be prepared to host this kind of facility. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening. And thank you in advance for signing up to the Evening Blend email, which is our daily roundup and analysis of all the day's political events. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening.